We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. The NBA season is over. The Milwaukee Bucks are the champions. Our presenting sponsor on the pod is BetUS, a place for you to wager on the games. At BetUS, they've got a great payout system, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you can think of. You can join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. As always, get 125% sign-up bonus using the promo code DANE125. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. I will have Britt Robson of The Athletic coming on here in a second to discuss the Bucks' win, and then we will also get into the news of the Timberwolves pursuing Danilo Gallinari on the trade market. So if you want to skip ahead for just Wolves talk, hop up in your feed to about the 40-minute mark here. We go deep on Gallinari and what exactly this might signal for the Wolves' 2021 offseason. We'll also get into the news of Mark Lurie and Alex Rodriguez being approved by the NBA as limited partners, officially, of the Minnesota Timberwolves ownership group. Britt and I... You know, we, we talk about their installation as owners and how that might immediately impact next season, specifically how their relationship with Gerson Rosas could impact the Wolves' short and long-term uh, trajectory for these these coming years. I really do appreciate you all sticking with the show during this playoff run. I mean, we'll have plenty more in the coming week with whatever happens with the draft, and then we're just off running. It's the draft on July 29th. Free agency starts on August 3rd. It doesn't stop, so... Thanks for listening all summer long. Let's bring in Britt. All right, Britt Robson of The Athletic, my guest here on Wednesday morning. The NBA season is officially over. The Milwaukee Bucks are the champions. And Britt, I'll just kind of give you the floor to start. Uh, This is an outcome for the season. I don't think many of us saw happening certainly not the path we we saw for for getting here and and Giannis Antetokounmpo has has won finals MVP the Milwaukee Bucks down the road um have won have won the NBA championship what was uh we didn't talk at all last night just yeah where uh where were you at in your head well first of all shout out to Jace Frederick who before the playoffs <laughs> yeah. said that the, the, the Bucks would uh, would win at all. You got to uh, you got to give him a shout out in the first minute because he goes 
He goes, I can't listen to you and Britt talk for 90 minutes. He goes, so he, Oh, there you go. He so, might actually listen to the first. I didn't even minutes. know that uh, he listened at all, but you know, fine with me either way. <laughs> I call him out all the time when he's wrong. So when he's right, you got to call him out too. Right. Anyway, uh, I thought it was a fabulous season. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great playoffs. I, I really came to enjoy both teams my affection for both of the finalists increased as the right. series went on. Um, the Suns were my favorite team by far heading into the finals. Uh, and by around game four or so, I, you know, my loyalty in terms of just, you know, you have a natural rooting interest in good basketball. I do anyway. And um, the Bucks were just playing really good basketball. Uh those last three games, especially. And uh, they took the Suns out of almost everything the Suns like to do. It's my kind of team. I mean, this, first of all, just the whole Giannis super teams comment, I think is kind of overblown because he is a two-time MVP and he does have two all-stars as teammates. So uh, yeah, he doesn't have like, you know, three guys on the top 50 or something. But uh, that's a pretty stacked team. They've been together a long time, at least him and Middleton. They have a very underrated coach in Mike <laughs> Budenholzer. Couldn't and, say that uh, without cracking up. And so, you know, it's uh, – and they won with defense. They won with physicality that's what I was and defense. Say. And they won with size. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rebutted a lot of uh, – you know, we, we have talked – off and on throughout the season, I've even entertained the possibility that uh, a lot of franchises have embraced the just outscore philosophy. Mm-hmm. And if this is in fact a copycat league, um, maybe people have to start embracing the uh, beat them up and uh, win with defense philosophy. Um, because you know, that's I, what shut down Booker and, and Paul. I mean, so well, you that- started, you cut Aiden off first. Aiden yeah. was the guy who went away and um, that, I mean, by the, by game six, Aiden would had no confidence in his shot. He's young. He was in the middle of a supernova postseason where he didn't feel like he could miss because he couldn't, he was making over 70% of his shots. And uh, those last two games, he was not sure that ball, you know, his patented catch the ball from, you know, an eight foot, eight foot floater directly in front of the rim. I think he was like maybe one of four or one of five. You remember that, that last hook shot he took last night? Yeah. Do you remember that where he just like had, he caught it and he had a dunk, but he just he had like no did, idea. He, he turned around and, and that's, that's when I wrote in my notes, like it's over. <laughs> Cause it was legal. Cause that was the funny part about that game last night was it was there for the Suns to take. Right. For, for the majority of the game. And I know we've already kind of, I have even moved on from like the monotony of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, what all played out in that. But it really was a game that was there, you know, for Phoenix to take and a series that was there for them, you know, to take as well. And I say that not to take away from Milwaukee at all, but more to affirm the fact that this was a competitive series and what a competitive series is, is one that either team could win. And I think as a, as a basketball fan myself, um, I love that. You know, I, I love that in this series and I loved, I loved the chess of this series. I thought it was chess that um, you didn't need a PhD in basketball 
to understand, which is right. which is always fun to kind of to kind of track on the fly, whether that's just, you know, the Bucks playing big or Phoenix playing small. But but super distilled down last night, it was um within that chess match, it just kind of slapped you in the face that the Suns had no counter move for Giannis. He could score and score and score. And there was absolutely nothing they could do to limit that, which was so the opposite of what was happening on the other side of the floor for how how incredible Booker's shot making had been in recent games and was Milwaukee had had these defensive counters that really could neuter so much of what Phoenix could do with Booker. They the, the only shots that Booker was going to make were eight out of ten, nine out of ten level of Mid-range. shot difficulty. Yes, shots to be he made. He was not even trying. I mean, there were so many times because. I, I was, you know, back and forth rooting for either team. I just wanted a really competitive end. And so I'm there yelling at Booker, take that shot. Mm-hmm. He, he walked into three-pointers every other series and at the beginning of this series. And he was walking into three-pointers in rhythm and he was turning them down throughout the third and fourth quarter. And I was with my friend David Brower and Brower said, uh, he knows he can't make them right now. Yep. Facts. And that really is the way it, it felt. He was over six. So, he was over yeah, six from three. Right. And and you know, to see the like the heart get taken out of one of the most competitive young players in the NBA mm-hmm. was a really convincing argument for what you know my, Milwaukee's all about, what its identity is all about. And uh you know, you mentioned, you know, taking away certain things, the sixth and seventh men on that roster, I mean, Portis can mm-hmm. guard the perimeter and hit shots from the perimeter, and yet he is a tough guy who does, you know, mix it up inside. And Connaughton is a guy who can – he doesn't – he can't do it for a long time, but he can stand up a big until help comes, and if help doesn't come and the guy misses the shot, he can get the rebound in the paint. I mean, this is a six-five guy like Drew Holiday who plays bigger than six-five, and it just enabled that team to look large all the time. Um, Incredible athletes on that team, in a yeah. whole bunch of different ways too. You know, like like even Brooke Lopez is. You know how you know how we can never really define athlete because right. it isn't right. it isn't one thing or the other. Obviously, you have Giannis who is kind of right. your, your most traditional uh, example of that. But, I mean, I think Drew Holiday is one of the most incredible athletes in the NBA. And, and Pat Connaughton, right. I mean, as too, if we define it rebounds he got, in the, yeah. you know, I mean, where he would just be like above everybody for a, a contested rebound. I was just listening to uh, Larry Nance went on Zach Lowe's podcast after the game last night, and he was talking about how Connaughton outjumped him in the vertical at the you know at the combine that year was the had the highest vertical in his class, which is like a rare thing for every one of those classes. It's like you know that was like Wiggins, Levine, you know, like the, right, those right. type of those type of guys. Um, but yeah, it's just if I'm being honest, like that Milwaukee team, particularly this year, um, was one I during the regular season I just didn't get into at all. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, you know what it's like when you're, you're sitting yeah. down to choose yeah, your yeah, league yeah, pass. Yeah, league pass. What do you want to do? Yeah, and, and pa- it, it's bizarre. And part of that is because um, 
they had a set philosophy, you know, that was brutally efficient, but occasionally would fall apart. And also you had seen them fall on their face two previous postseasons, and you were saying, yeah, they're good in the regular season. And, and as has been widely reported, they did begin to get ready for the playoffs during the regular season by trying a few more things, not being 100%. quite so not being so permissive from the three and figuring out paint defenses a little bit better. Just, I mean, I, I do think that, and, and on offense, you know, changing some things, but I do think that um, there is an identity there that is um, requires really strong roles to be fit around people and Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday all grew their role. I mean, you know, they, uh, I mean, Middleton has always been a late game assassin. Uh, Holiday has always been a really rugged, uh, you know, one through four defender. Um, and Giannis has always been somebody who, when he gets out of his own way and doesn't take mid ranges and long shots and, you know, has a greater awareness on the court. What I loved about Giannis was um, he was so locked in these last three games on defense. Uh, his help defense was impeccable. I mean, he very, very rarely put himself out of position, which happened a fair bit in the regular season. I watched him, yeah. I would say, probably the middle of the amount of teams I watched on League Pass. But there were times when Giannis clearly took himself out of plays. And some of that, to be fair, is, you know, that, that they ran the Lopez schemes a lot more in the regular season than they ran in the playoffs. Well, it's interesting, Britt, like, and, and again, this is something that, you know, we've watched. We've watched Minnesota Timberwolves employ Cat very similarly to Brooke Lopez. I mean, the amount of times you and I have, have gone on and on about drop coverage is a little annoying, actually. Um, but with it's, – it's always been a fascinating element of it to me to watch Giannis in that scheme and playing that free safety role, that the help side guy. Right, right. And it is something that – and I would say this is credit to Bud, that Giannis has progressively gotten better and better and better at where it is such an elite weapon. It is a thing when we talk about – when we talk about where Booker – there's just so, only so much he can do. It's the only right. so much he can do because when you have a good defender on him in, you know, we, we said a Connaughton, a Holiday, or whatever as the, as the primary matchup, plus you have Giannis playing in that, in that help side role, that is so hard for any player to be able, you know, to be able to score through. Plus Giannis had, had such a good feel for that. It's not necessarily a very sexy role. To, right. to play in over the you know over the course of time I mean I personally thought myself was over the over the bucks years of like wouldn't Giannis just be the best drop coverage center in the NBA that that's mm. what that's what I always kind of thought about it but you saw really last season you saw Brooke become the best drop coverage center in the NBA right as much as people want to like poke at the fact that he can't switch and he can get exposed whatever Brooke is the best in the NBA, I would say even better than Joel Embiid at drop coverage. 
Maybe not Gobert, now that I'm saying this. But Brooke Lopez is an elite drop coverage center. And well, and also he fits his personnel really well. Yes. In that drop coverage Well, he role. fits Giannis so well. That's what I'm saying, and, too. But also those guys on the perimeter, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you have a holiday out there, you know, being able to take a man, it's like, as Kat frequently reminds us, drop coverage is only as good as how many people are running at you. you know I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and and the Bucks, the Bucks, you know, kind of made sure that uh, Lopez only had to concentrate mm-hmm. on one or two guys when he was in drop coverage, and the fact that Giannis and Holiday and Middleton, for that matter, I mean, it is a, it's it's a team with depth on defense, and that is rare in the mm-hmm. NBA to have guys who uh, you don't need to help out on very often. Uh, it's just such a bold tactic to employ defensively to say, we are always going to guard pick and rolls with two players. Because right. when it doesn't work, when you when it doesn't work, it looks horrible. It looks horrible right. when you do that. I remember, you probably remember this game. Um, it, was, it was at Target Center and the Wolves were playing Malcolm Brogdon, DeMontis Sabonis, and the Indiana Pacers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was – they got destroyed. Destroyed in the fourth quarter in, in pick-and-roll right. game. Right. And, and you know, I remember I remember asking Saunders after the game of, you know, you stuck with defending the pick-and-roll with just, you know, with just two players, you know. Right. Was, you know, was that the strategy? And he's like – that he was like, yes, that was the strategy. That's that was that's the best strategy, and it, you know, and it, and it didn't work tonight. And yeah, loyal soldier to the end. Right. Well, and it's just, I, I, I think we've come to label that as a stupid tactic, right? And and the Bucks have really proven that it, it doesn't have to be, and it can just be an elite way. If you have elite way, personnel. It, yes. But it can be an elite way to guard if you have yes. elite personnel. And on the counter side, if you don't, it's probably a terrible tactic. Um, right. If you don't have the right personnel to... Well, I remember Trey Young. Do you remember the Trey Young John Collins game oh, yeah. when Atlanta came in? I mean, they got like forty-five points in the fourth quarter or something, and mm-hmm. just decimated. Well, I think that was I a Tibbs say, game. That was one of the yeah, last. I think Tibbs it games. probably was. It probably mm-hmm. was. But what I want to point out is, coming into this series, the Bucks looked like the ideal team to decimate that kind of scheme. I mean, they had. Oh, you mean the Suns? The Suns did. Yeah. Oh, did I yeah, say yeah, the Bucks? Yeah. yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, the Suns. Uh, they have an elite, you know, galaxy brain at the point. They have a a really really good scorer who also doesn't mind passing. <clears throat> they have some great finishers down low, and they have some great people on the corners to shoot the threes. And and you saw it in games one and two to some extent, uh, but you saw it from Phoenix against some really good teams you know the clippers are are a really good defensive team they're you know so what i loved about this and Giannis was the difference but also i do think that bud kept on putting i mean when campaign started to go off yeah uh, in the second quarter he threw holiday on him and that was it you know Mm -hmm. i mean that was it for campaign you know and so uh and whenever Holiday was on uh, either Chris Paul or Booker, you could see them wear down. You could watch them wear down in real time. I mean, that dude is Kawhi-like. You know, when Kawhi was in his prime three or four years ago on defense and Kawhi would be on somebody, you just saw them lose energy. 
you know. Let this be a reminder to the Ben Simmons haters out there. Exactly. Because he's in that same class. Although Ben Simmons does it in an interesting way. He doesn't quite grind people as much as his height and width discourages Mm -hmm. people from even trying. That's actually a good point. You're right. There's there's an added physicality. But you're right, though, that Ben Simmons accomplishes the same goal, which is he mentally discourages people from doing what they like to do. I mean, anybody and, who's played basketball knows what's that, what that's like. Yeah. When, yeah, when you, exactly. when you're on your team and you're asked to score and you, you can't see when you can't see, and you know, I can't score on this guy. <laughs> I can't score on this guy. That is, all right, I can't do it consistently. That is a, a mind F like it, it yeah. really is. And, and I think as I try to distill down what is, what was going on with Chris Paul throughout the series. And I, I think there are, there's probably some physical elements to that too. I, I think it's that. I mean, I, I think it is just an incredibly difficult task to run point guard with Drew Holiday on you, or right. and with Giannis waiting at the at this at the next line, or even Brook Lopez. And I know and Brook Lopez is the one he cooks, but like, right. but it's still, it is such a is such a talented group of defenders and such a big group of defenders that. Um, They've been the best defensive team in the league for a while now. And right. and it is it's just it's just cool to see that um as you and I both have an affinity for defense. It is it is cool to kind of see it uh pay off, right? And and right. really make a difference. It's it's cool. And and what I also like is that this series and you know, the season in general, I think um People who have pat assumptions about the NBA and how things should go and how the narratives should go um, got upended, you know, <laughs> this year. Yeah. And and um, hand raised. Well, I mean, again, you know, injuries do make a difference, but I also think that um, Bud. Let's face it, Bud got torn to shreds by a lot of people who don't really know the game. Uh, you know, mm. that really it, NBA Twitter, in some respects, um, it emboldens people, especially if there's a bandwagon going on, especially if it's a negative bandwagon. Um, it's like if any of those people actually were GMs or coaches, I mean, Ben Simmons would have been traded for a couple of picks <laughs> at the end of the playoffs. You know, I mean, all these things where people just don't allow the you know, the swooshing water to settle and, and get the true level of where we're at here now. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to be, uh, you know, judging everything on um, what happens after one game. I mean, when Phoenix decimated Milwaukee in the first game, I just tweeted afterwards, You're a guy, everybody's overreacting to one game. I mean, you know, the, the team who won the first game in the playoffs was eight and six coming into the season, and now it's eight and seven. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, it doesn't mean that much. It's a long series and there are really fascinating ways in which this game is changing, not only from season to season, but from phase to phase. You know, you start out, you're gelling, you're in a groove, you know, I mean, like Utah is the king of midseason basketball. You know, I mean, they have a group, they have a system, uh, you know, it's it's you can see how a team like Utah would thrive in that. And what's interesting is that Milwaukee was kind of in that boat 
I was just about to say that. Yeah. Until they got Holiday, you know, uh, until they got somebody who could take people apart on the perimeter the way they could take people apart in the paint. And, you know, once that happened, you know, it was it was fascinating. Uh, so anyway, back to Phoenix. They took Aiden away. And I think after that, um, Paul and, um, well, they took Aiden away and then they started to take the corner threes away. And I, I think after that, that once Paul and Booker did not have any threats, you know, beside them, how many times have you ever seen Chris Paul decide to take the game into his own hands as much as he tried to do in the last two games of the series? Mm-hmm. Me, his whole deal usually <laughs> is to find that sweet spot mid-range and then pass to somebody. And this time it was find that sweet spot mid-range and shoot. And he's a really good mid-range shooter, but he was tired too. And he wasn't, you know, he, he's probably like 35, 40% from mid-range this, this playoffs. And it's because he didn't have enough options and because he was being worn down. But they, they lost the corners. They lost the paint with Aiden. Um, and they lost being able to penetrate off the dribble. I mean, the Bucks just kept taking things away from them. It was almost incredible that it was close. <laughs> well, because you're, you're not, you're not I kept wrong. looking at the score, right. <laughs> and part of that is the Bucks are still not a very efficient offensive team. Right. Or they weren't. I mean, the- PJ, PJ Tucker doesn't shoot. Right. You don't have to guard it. Mm-hmm. What um, on Chris Paul? What do you think's next? Oh, I think they run it back and they try. I mean, obviously it's even harder. He's another year older, but Booker and Aiden have experience. Mm-hmm. I think Aiden needs to take another leap, which is entirely possible. But um, and I think. I think a, a much better backup center would yeah. really help them um, because I think the drop off to Sarich or Frank the Tank, who <laughs> had his moments last night, but also had his moments the other way. Yeah. Um, they, they need a, a better backup center. Uh, they probably, I, th- I think that Booker has another level. I think that Booker can be. Um, all NBA second team, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that he can be a 28, uh, five, nine guy, you know, somebody who gets you almost double digit assists and gets you close to 30 points a night and rebounds some and plays good defense. I mean, I, I think he's, he's the goods. Um, but It, it is interesting though, just from, a if you're James Jones or if you're the, you know, or the owner right. maybe of right. the Suns and is looking more futuristic, futuristic, um, Chris Paul is under contract next year for 44, 44. million, but it's a player option that he will yeah. likely opt out of trying to get a new, you know, a new deal, maybe get like a three year, 90 million deal or something like that. Instead of just taking the, the 44, you know, try and try and lock that up. That would some... be too bad. But I, I, I feel like, um, you know, I agree. I mean, that's the conventional wisdom, and he he certainly could do that. He could even hold the Suns up for that, given all the goodwill they have now. But I got to tell you, the $30 million you pay Chris Paul in three years will wreck you, you know? And they have a timeline with those other guys, you know. Well, that I, you 
yeah, that's you know what me, I'm kind of getting I'm not, a, I'm not a dual time. I, I don't mind dual timelines as yeah. we've established, but <laughs> I don't like it when one of your three most important people is almost 40 years old and plays point guard, you know? Yeah, I, and, you know, we were saying the same thing about this $40 million contract a couple years ago, but it, that was a couple years ago, so it's a, it's a couple years even older. And I, I and Aiton and Booker are so young. They, they really are that. He is not the defender he used to be either. He can pick his spots. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Paul we're talking about now. He's somebody who uh, increasingly relies on poke check steals and trying to take charges much more than he does he used to be able to stay with people better than he can now. And that's logical. I mean, the guy yeah, yeah, is understandable. Playing, he's played a ton of minutes, you know, and he's a warrior. So he, he does compete, but it, you know, I, I would give him two for six. I would give him two for 60 right. uh, instead of one for 44, if he wants a little more money. Um, but uh, boy, I don't know. I mean, that, and and there is an argument to be made to saying, go help another team if you you know if they want to pay you ninety million dollars, right? You know, you know, I, that's a, that's a tough one. Well, it's you know the, the the trick. I guess it could be a sign and trade, which would complicate it and other things. But really, it would be like New York. I think would be the only team who has that thirty plus yeah. million in in space yeah, to and, give, uh, which and, would actually make some sense. Two two people are in New York right now. Tom Thibodeau and Derek Rose. Chris <laughs> Paul isn't come. Chris Paul isn't going to the Knicks. Because <laughs> if Chris Paul goes to the Knicks, he's going to be. It's going to be James Harden in Houston all over again. Um, the one thing I'm I am interested to see from a player development standpoint with that team is what when you talk about Aiton, you know, making that next taking a leap, going to the next level. Um, I I think as a coaching staff, you have to. Um, you have to be intentional about what is that? What do we want that to look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think the most profound positive, if it does work, is you do start letting him kind of be a guy who you can give it to at 15 feet and square up a little bit in bead mm-hmm. style, trying to, you know, trying to draw fouls in that sort of way. I mean, this year we saw with Aiton, he would square up a little bit and, and he would just take that right away. Look kind of like Tim Duncan, you know, that just right. like look like you're going to pose swing into – uh, just right into that kind of bank shot sort of thing, uh, but it was—it's a very basic package that Aiton has offensively, outside of lobs and dunks and catches around the basket sort of stuff. Right. I just—I don't know what it can really be other than letting him create from that sort of mid-range area, which is a which is a risky area to you know to really empower someone from because he ha- he would need to be able to draw fouls at a right. at a high level. See, and I wasn't even necessarily thinking about offense. I think if Aiden gets stronger, his upper body, and um, he gets a little bit more rugged about his defense and learns techniques so that he rim protects without fouling. Sure. Uh, and, and becomes like a uh, – I think he's already a top 15, you know, he's, he's in the top half of defensive centers right now. I think he can get in like the top six or hmm. seven. Um, just by bulking up, right? I guess uh, I, I, yeah, I, it's probably both. you have him higher. He might even be top ten. No, no I, I, I don't know. I haven't, yeah. haven't gone through. But, that. I, I, think that's but I think what I'm saying is, I think that he can be somebody who can anchor a defense. He kind of does that now. But if he didn't have Jay Crowder around, I don't know. You yeah, know, Crowder's I mean, important. Crowder, Crowder is the toughness, and so 
and and it isn't that Aiden isn't tough. It's just that he's not um, staunch. He's not mm-hmm. staunch enough to, you know, I mean, Giannis exposed him two ways. He wasn't as strong as Giannis and he wasn't as quick as Giannis. And um, I don't think he can ever be <laughs> quick, but I think he can get stronger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think he's a really, he's a, you know, what you call a good kid. I mean, he's somebody who, wants to learn and will learn and will get better yeah and just absolutely took to chris paul's you know teaching and i think monty williams is good for him um i think he will take the next step um i think that cam johnson could become a starter um just because i i think he's begun to get a lot more confidence in what he does um I don't know how much, you know, I think campaign is going to be, is, doesn't he have a contract? He's a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's, that's interesting. Um, the, the, that's a, that's could be like 6 million. It could be 12 million. I think that's 6 million. is going to make a big difference yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, I, so again, um, they're, they're going to have – James Jones is going to have his work cut out for him, first making the decision on Chris Paul, and then everything does fall into place to some extent because of what you have left. But I also think the development team has got some interesting pieces to work with. Right? Um, it, isn't it like – it is kind of like how do we want to build this out? We obviously know we want to build, but there's, right. there's, there's, different, ways, there's different ways to go about that. The other, the other part – the other side when we're talking about roster construction is – I, I, I don't think I knew this until I just like looked up their kind of spreadsheet a couple of games ago. I mean, Giannis is under contract for five more years. Chris yeah, Middleton he just signed this year. Yeah, Chris Middleton's under contract for three more years. Drew Holiday is under yeah. contract for four more years. There you go. Connaughton's under contract. DiVincenzo's under contract. I mean, they, they have like, as you know, as Giannis said in his and, little post game. Brooke Lopez thing. is a couple of years. Yeah, left. yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, yeah, Brooke has it's two amazing. more years left too. So. I mean, they're certainly building in the way that this isn't a flash in the pan, one year and done the sort opposite, of thing. The opposite of a flash in the pan. Right. They you are know? looking for it sustained is, success in this. Right. They are not looking to be a super team. They're looking to be a resilient foe. You know. I think they're looking to be the Spurs. Yeah. Very good comparison. Right. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. Because... You can see the outlines of, I mean, obviously it doesn't compare skill-wise, but role-wise, you can see how Holiday is Parker, Middleton is mm-hmm. Ginobili, and Giannis is Duncan. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. No, without a doubt. And Bud is from that tree. So, uh, you know, I mean, that that's a, that's an interesting comparison. I saw somebody... By the way, go ahead. ahead. Okay. I saw somebody post yesterday the, the championship odds, because I think you and I were talking about this, and it goes... Goes Bucks, or we when we watch Game Three together, we we're talking about this. The the Nets are the most likely to win the championship according to Vegas. Lakers are two, yeah. and Bucks are three for next yeah. year. Does that does that uh-huh. feel right to you? Well, you know how I feel about that. Uh, first of all, anybody who's <laughs> anybody who is going to put any kind of money on what's going to happen next year. 10 days before free agency, when you know oh, the yeah, shit's yeah, going to yeah, hit yeah, the yeah. fan like seven ways to Sunday. I have absolutely no idea. Who's going to be on the Blazers roster? I mean, you know. I don't think it just, matters. They're not a contender no matter what. 
Oh, no matter what, if they get Simmons along with Dame and they have Nurkic, I don't know. You know? I don't think so. Crazier things have happened. Um, I don't know. Anyway. But Portland is just such a tire fire right now. That, but you're right. I do like me some Simmons. Dame's obviously special. Yeah, it, it, and right. Nurkic, that's a really nice third my, guy. My my two. point is not my point was not to you know my my point in sharing that was that the Bucks right. are up They're there the with hunt. anyone. They are very much well, not in only the that, hunt. but they've already settled this shit. Right. Brooklyn's got a lot of things to settle, as I've said many, many times to your skeptical face. Yeah, you know, right. I really think at the end of the day, they're all just another year hungrier now. And hunger among those three can be destructive. Particularly you know? for James Harden. <laughs> well, Harden is, I mean... I'm talking more. It was calories. kind of it was oh, right, right. it was kind of miraculous to see that James Harden can be totally ineffective and still score in double digits. Yeah. I mean, it really was kind of. I mean, he can literally conjure against points. this Bucks team, dude. This <laughs> he Bucks can, team, he can, <laughs> totally. He can conjure points. He's incredible. You know? He's James Harden's incredible. I mean, he. And, and, he and, might win yeah, MVP next year. Yes, it's entirely possible. But you know, how does KD feel about that? Yeah. You know? Well, that's your yeah. That's your again. Whole point. You know, I don't. We're not. We're not talking about the Nets. We're not talking about the all Nets. Right, all right. We're all not right. talking. About the, we're not talking. <laughs> well, you about brought this. it up. I did. I did. No. Congratulations <laughs> to the Bucks. And my point I wanted to make was there is that I didn't even think about this a week ago. There is a there is a real path for sustained success here. It, given the way that, yes, all those guys are on expensive contracts, but they are good players. None of them is old, and none of them are old and decrepit. And right. really, it kind of does feel like early stages Spurs. Mm-hmm. I, I love that comparison. Which is which is just... I, I think that's a really, uh, you know, obviously, um, they're not going to make the playoffs 19 straight years, and they're not probably not going to win four rings. But you can see them being a team that is the known commodity that people get a little tired of because they're so consistently the way they are. <laughs> um, well, I feel like it's almost know, got the, that's almost there a little bit right now. Right, right. So, but on the other hand, that's what, also why they're underrated. You know, um, people like the idea. It's become a splash league, and. Uh, Giannis has very few splashes. I mean, he had a 50-point game last night, and thank God, I mean, he made one three, I think, yeah. uh, you know, and 17 free throws, I might add. But uh, also, well, that's the difference, man. He, like, he shot 50% on the road against Phoenix from the free throw line. So if he right. would have shot 50% in this game, they would have lost. They would have lost the game, yeah. Sure. Uh, that's yeah. that's the margin, right? It would have been eight points i think it was an eight-point game on the other hand he might not have been hunting free throws as much <laughs> yeah i don't think he would have got 19 <laughs> i don't think he would have got 19 off well um any parting bucks thoughts and then, or otherwise we'll take a break and then i got some wolf stuff for you all right no I'll, i'm ready for the wolves all right we'll be back in a quick second The NBA Finals are over, but this summer's betting action is just heating up with my friends over at BetUS. 
with the UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, and football season all just around the corner. You need a sports book with great payouts. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every bet type you could think of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online sports betting for over 25 years and prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action-packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1-800-69-BETUS and receive 125% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code DANE125. If you missed tip-off, a game's underway, and you forgot to bet, that's not a problem. At BetUS, you can bet live all the way up to the final buzzer. You can bet on the NFL. at The week one lines are already up at BetUS for you to bet on. If you want to do some blackjack, spin the wheels. There are hundreds of games in the BetUS casino. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now, they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVP Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right, Britt. Um, what do you think about Danilo Gallinari on the Minnesota Timberwolves next year? <laughs> I think it's absurd. Are you kidding me? I mean... What in the world? How old is he? How many injuries does he have? How is he going to help the defense? I mean, you know, oh, my God. And what will it take to get them? I mean, you know, is, is he's going to be a free agent. How are they going to clear cap? I mean, is, is it a trade? Uh, I don't know what. Gallinari is the kind of piece you add as like your fourth piece when you're trying to go from the sixth seed to the third seed. It is not what you do when you are like the 26th team in the NBA. It's just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. He's not a great defender. He is a savvy vet and a good locker room guy. It would mean that Rubio is gone. I mean, there's no way Gallinari and Rubio share a roster on this team. Um, yeah, they just don't have the, the cap space. Um, so, WTF, you know, I mean, you know, I have no, I have no idea. And I love it. I love his outside shooting. And, and I do think he is a guy who can get buckets, but all of a sudden this is a roster with people who can already do that. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. And also I, I before, you know, I definitely swarmed up to take that bait when you dangled it. But let's also say, let's also say that we are within the two-week window of free agency, which means that the bullshit is rampant. It is people trying to make a name for their clients, make a name for themselves among the assholes that populate all the suits in these places. Um, it's the part of the NBA that stinks to high heaven. You know, it, it, it reminds me of the NCAA. Just a bunch well, of guys well, as, who are as near the, the game. As the stinky near... suit guy in this case, let me let me interject. 
I I think it is obviously any sort of report for me or for anyone else at, at this time. You're right. It is does not mean it is likely to happen or not. What it does and what I do know is real is it is a trade that they are pursuing and it, it's, it is a certain type of trade that they are pursuing, which I think is the most interesting element of this. It is a win now move of an overpaid 32 year old who would be helpful next season. That is what, if you were a Timberwolves, that is what you, a Timberwolves fan, that is what you need to think about when you hear the Minnesota Timberwolves are pursuing Danilo Gallinari because there are other options like out there as well that are, that are similar to that, that indicate that Gerson Rosas is trying to win more games next season to, based on your cynicism level, one, make the playoffs, or two, further solidify his job status. Keep his job. I would say you flip those things. You know, I think keeping his job, number one, making the playoffs, number two, I agree. It wasn't a rank order, but yeah. he, he, He needs to take a big step in order to be safe on his job. I would agree with that. I, I would ask what happened to the sustainable model of winning. Um, quite frankly, uh, this does seem like a Taj Gibson type pickup. Um, or Ricky Rubio you, last year. And honest, it's, a, it's a lot well, like Ricky yeah. Rubio. Well, I mean, at least they had a philosophy. What it, Give me the best case scenario for how Danilo Gallinari fits into the current well, identity of this team. Well, first let me say, and we don't know what the deal would be, so I can't outright say I think this is a bad idea because, right, if it's – we don't know what the trade is. If it's for pennies, then it's a good trade. But assuming it's not, assuming it's not a for pennies type of deal and, you know, it is reasonable a reasonable price for the exchange, I don't understand it at all. Um, it, it, is, it is a win-now move for a team that I don't think is ready to win right now. And, and it is something that, very similar to what happened with Rubio, you know, it, it throws you off. It throws you off. Now you have this, it's the same thing as Rubio. Rubio, when they inherited him last year, he had two years and $35 million left on, on his deal. And they traded him for, they acquired him for a player with one year and $16 million left on his deal and James Johnson. Well, right. That's the same thing with Danilo Gallinari. He has two years and $42 million left on his deal right now. The second year is only partially guaranteed. But it's, it's, it's another one of those things where you are getting a better player by taking on more money, down, you know, more longer-term money down the line. And, and it is, that is a tactic to win, more, to win more games. It probably would lead to a few more wins. But, uh, yeah, to, to a sustainable model... Um, I don't think it does that. And to a win now move, I mean, if you, if I'm doing it and I really want to win now, win now, like let's set our sights higher than Danilo Gallinari it is, you know, is, is what I would say. And, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be, it'll be a pretty disappointing plot twist for a lot of Timberwolves fans. If it does happen, which isn't to say that Danilo Gallinari is a bad player. I no, mean, he's a very good player, but that he's, I think my description of him as somebody who takes a six seed closer to a four seed, he's the kind of guy who leads your bench unit. Look at what he did for Atlanta in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, when they needed a bucket from somebody because no one was getting buckets easily, uh, 
he could ISO on a smaller dude on the perimeter or take him into the paint or uh, was smart enough to pass around things, smart enough to take charges. He's not a great defender, but he's a willing defender. Very big. He's slow. He's slow afoot. Yeah, he is very large. Um, but I don't understand. Um, it's incongruent with how this team has previously and been. And the good. added value, I mean, you know, I don't like Nas Reed as, as much as most of the people. What I would say is that Nas Reed is a poor man's Danilo Gallinari in some respects. <laughs> I don't understand why, you know, if you want to play that kind of ball, you can kind of see how Nas Reed might fit that role as somebody, if you wanted to be a stretch four, just turn him into a stretch four. I think, you know, you might be able to do that as somebody who can take the ball off the dribble um, and and shoot from outside and get rebounds and be big. Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but let's not take away from the, the fact of how elite Danilo Gallinari is. He's a as, great shooter. As a Yeah. I mean, I these numbers were insane to me. He's... These are since the NBA started tracking catch and shoot three point percentages. This year, thirty nine point nine catch and shoot threes. The year before that, forty two percent. The year before that, forty four percent. The year before that, and the only year he's under forty percent was in twenty one games. Only shot thirty one. But mm-hmm. then the year before that, forty one. The year before that, forty one. I mean, he is right. a a lock to shoot forty percent from three on catch and shoots on high volume. Plus, he is one of those weapons where he is a catch-and-shoot player who, if you overclose out, he can take you off the bounce, get to the bucket, get to, you know, get to a, a mid-range pull, draw fouls. I mean, he is a, a high-level spot-up player. And, and desperately needed on a starting five that includes D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, you know. Hey, I, there, there I, is, you. you know, if you want to retilt this team back to being all scoring and a total sieve on defense, go get them and, and live with your, um, you know, get into that play in game. whoop de doo You know, I mean, it, it, it takes, it complicates the roles of players. I'm already wondering, I'm out loud wondering if D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, can exist in a mutually advantageous way at both ends of the court in a manner that really kind of maximizes what they all do. And then you throw Gallinari into the mix. And Gallinari, one of the tributes I will say to Gallinari is he's not a pushy guy. He's not somebody who's going to be pissed off if he's not getting a million touches. He was really patient in Atlanta. He waits his turn. Played 24 minutes a game during the regular season, 25 a game during the playoffs. And he fulfills his role when he's out there, and he's a good locker room guy. It's nothing against Gallinari. It's just that what his skill set is and where he's strong and where he's weak mirror mirror where the Wolves are strong and where they're weak. But, Britt, who who put that roster together? Who put together the roster that prioritized these things? Well, and, and who immediately came in and started monkeying with that roster to try to get some semblance of sanity back into it? I mean, how does Chris Finch feel about all this? I don't know. See, I mean, I think that in this case, uh, it, it look, it will get you more wins. Gallinari has been hurt a lot. He's a big lug of a guy. He's a big dude. He's probably 250. Um, 
And, you know, it just, it, you know, for what he, $21 million a year. See, I don't even hate him at 21 for the right team. I just, uh, I just disagree. I disagree that this would be. If you the want right to go team. over the lux tax, that's fine. Yeah. Teams are willing to go over the lux tax, but I will well, tell you, I, I think the Atlanta fit is actually perfect because their best player exactly. isn't being paid a lot yet. I mean, what exactly. I think it was really smart what they did with Gallinari and Bogdanovich, you know, last year. That kind of the they two had of a them, great offseason. Yeah, right. They they had a great offseason. And let's not forget, even guys who they missed on who are still good. I mean, I like Chris Dunn, and there was another guy they you signed. do like Chris Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always liked Chris Dunn. He's a great pick and roll defender on the perimeter, but uh, he can't hit a shot mm-hmm. to save his life. But you know, you need guys like that in the game. We have Josh Okogie, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, but Brett, this is this is the the bigger question again, because as you're saying, you know, don't believe the farts and whistles and, and stuff like this. With that, the point again to focus on is is a move like this, a move for a, an offensive player, a move for a a vet like. We can get into the Gallinari like rabbit hole and, and talk about what that player is. I think actually a lot of people kind of know what Gallo is. We've talked about him. I mean, I just think people need to prepare themselves that this is the type of move that is coming. What you and I have talked about more is the you know the the shiny sort of option of Ben Simmons, Turner, Collins sort of idea, even if that has a low likelihood of happening. That being one path, or the other path being just kind of going back at it with the same group. This is the middle ground. Danilo Gallinari is is the middle ground. It is again in an over you know an overpaid type of player or you know as a high as a high contract for a guy who's in his 30s. It would be like a you know an Eric Bledsoe, a right. Uh you know that type of deal. A, a no, Kevin a, a Kevin Love, uh like Terrence Ross. Right. Something like that. Bojan Bogdanovic, th- those type of things. Like yeah, I think, yeah, I right, think those right. are the, when I hear this, this news of Danilo Gallinari, that's what I started doing is I start making a list of players that are like Gallinari that it could, you know, that See, it I'm could not sure I believe be. it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, I mean, what I could say is it's for sure been pursued. Mm-hmm. That doesn't well, mean it's going to happen. I mean, I right. I, I know that, that like this happens all the time. People people report things that you know that They're are trial big. balloons. Sure, and but that's literally what I'm telling you right now. It is a trial balloon, but the trial balloon signals a type. It, the trial balloon is a color. <laughs> These are the, right, it is a right. blue balloon, and a blue balloon equals. 30-something-year-old, win-now type of move. That is, I think you don't want to believe it. Right. That's exactly right. Well, I'm just saying, man, I think... I think we're just at... It's go time. It's go time in Rosa's eyes. It's 2021. It's been two years of being really bad. And... um, If Danilo Gallinari is your idea of go time... You're not. It's not my idea. Off. Yeah. But. No, but I'm and I'm saying you. You know, yeah. theoretically, uh, it's not nearly enough. It will be regarded scornfully. I mean, I think he's smarter than that. I think that's what we're coming back to here. Gil, Gerson Rosas is smart enough to understand that this is not a good move. 
to make. Uh, it, it, it compromises his coach. It compromises his core of uh, stars. Um, it will deflate a fan base. It will take a good guy. A, you know, it, it, the Rubio comparison is apt in terms of the fact that you're putting a guy who was a willing warrior into slots that um, will prompt people to be disappointed by his presence. Um, eh, you know, I, I just, let's put it this way. If it comes to pass um, and I'll be the first person to tell Gerson Rosas to his face, you were right. I was wrong. If Danilo Gallinari gives you mm-hmm. what, you know, but if, if we're, if we're jumping up and down about an eight seed or a play in game, because Danilo Gallinari is on the squad. Um, I am going to see, I'm going to look at what the defensive rating is for this team next year. And I'm going to find out how this should be any different than, you know, a lot was said inferred and directly stated about Tom Thibodeau on his way out the door, uh, how he would get the Taj Gibsons and Derek Roses and Jeff, Teague. uh, Jeff Teagues of the world champ. Well, yeah. What I will say is they did get an eight seed. It's the only playoff appearance they've had in 16 years. They were third on offensive efficiency. They were 26th or something on defensive efficiency. And Four years later, square one. Maybe a better core. You know, maybe instead of Cat and Wiggins, you now have Cat, Nant, and, you know, mm. uh, Delo. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we just got through talking about how the Bucks won it all with defense. Phoenix has a good defense. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clippers <clears throat> are a good defensive team. The teams that just sucked out loud on defense, even the Nets – you know, we're playing good defense in a manner that in the playoffs. um, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it it doesn't, uh, doesn't make sense to me. Danilo Gallinari is a piece you add to complete a puzzle. He is not a piece you add to figure out where the other pieces go. He is not a corner piece in your puzzle. He is a, he's an interior piece and you put him in there because you know exactly how he fits. And um, uh, he's one of the last pieces you put in when you want to complete your puzzle. And this team is not at that stage. I, I, I agree with that. I think the Danilo Gallinari type of move I could get behind if you are trading, if you are also getting back a good first round pick with it. Um, mm. And I don't think, I think Gallo is too close to a neutral contract to do that. Right. But again, I, you know, listing off some of those, some of those other names that, you know, the Eric Bledsoe's, the, the more, the more bad contracts, obviously like a you know, John right. Wall is a bad contract, Bogdan, right, you know, right. some, some of those, those type of things. If you can trade Malik Beasley and get a good first round pick back and take on one of these older players who is quote unquote overpaid, but still gives you productivity, right. then I can get behind that as a sustainable move, you know, down the, down the long run, it would probably, you know, you know, kind of stamp 
what a lot of the whispers out there have been about with with Malik Beasley and you know and Beasley could be very good on a you know on a, another oh, team I kind of I, I expect him to explode in Atlanta <laughs> right right or what yeah what, whatever team might be so I I say this to be like yeah my initial reaction to a Danilo Gallinari's name being out there is also like huh but I didn't report anything about what the what the deal coming back would be what would be going out or anything like that there is a world, absolutely, where trading for Danilo Gallinari would make sense, provided what is outgoing and what is also coming back in. If there's a, if there's well, a, well, there's always that. I know, but I mean, but we got to state that. Though. We got to state that. Yeah. Or well, and what, I, what I'm saying about. is that could be that that would be the type of move that I you know I could get behind, and I don't think it would be a Gallo specific, but another. There's a bunch of dudes who are like 28 to 33 out in the league who are making like $20 million who you wouldn't pay $20 million to if they were a free agent, but you're also like, they could start or they could be if in they're a lunch pail defenders who can hit a shot. I'm on board. Not many of those. Well, <laughs> all right. But then again, $21 million doesn't grow on trees either. You know, I mean, if, you know, if somebody is, what's Jay Crowder going to make next year? 10. And, you know, if you look at all the other, you know, what's Portis going to make as a free agent, you know? These are lunch pail defenders who can make a shot. I would rather have Bobby Portis on my team than Danilo Gallinari in this, in this current lineup. And I don't think you'd have to give mm-hmm. that much, you know, to get him. I think you need guys who have a toughness, who have physicality, who can also hit a shot, um, and who don't necessarily, well, I mean, Gallinari fits this in terms of Gallinari won't be thirsty. And you, you can't have anybody who thinks they're going to be a top three scorer on this team. I mean, as long as D'Lo is on the roster, you know, D'Lo gets to hold the ball. And and if he doesn't get touches, everybody's going to, you know, the franchise will burn down. And... Um, <laughs> And if Cat, who only happens to be like one of the top true shooting percentage people of all time, he's still in the top 10, by the way, all time in true shooting percentage. Um, the idea of adding a Danilo Gallinari to a, a team that has Ant, Cat, and Delo, Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, it's just, you're right. I, I really hope that, uh, I hope that either Gerson Rosas is smarter than that or he's so much smarter than me that he sees something that I don't see because that's a, that's a, that's a recipe for stepping on your own dick. (laughs) Next topic. Um, The uh, I I actually wanted to ask you this with, with the ownership that that was approved yesterday, officially the first, the first 20%. um, God, I'm still caught up on your (laughs) guy. I don't want to go there. Don't you think? <laughs> it, it certainly. I mean, could if be. you've laid out a plan and it's a good plan, and then you do something that totally wrecks it, that's what I meant by that statement. I, I got you. We'll we'll wait for we'll wait for subsequent reporting for <laughs> for how stompy it gets. But in all seriousness, with with Lori and A Rod coming in, what what do you want to see? What do you want to see the impact of those two? 
being immediately next season. Because um, I have no idea what it could a be. A loosening of the purse strings. And I will tell you, uh, and this is where bias is totally in play, and anybody who wants to accuse me of being a hypocrite is right to do so. I hope they hold up the city and the state for a better stadium. I've been anti-stadium in terms of it wrecking. I mean, it's always a bad investment for the public versus the the billionaires. Um, But Target Center, they have a beautiful facility in Mayo, and, and there's some really good things going on. But that arena is an eyesore. It's one of the two or three worst in the NBA, and it does hurt them. And I think the idea of threatening to take the wolves out of town, unless they get something, they have a credible threat on that. Um, And it would not bother me to see a little blackmail be tried. And I'm, I'm saying this totally selfishly as a guy who's covered this team since 1990, would love to see them stay in town. Um, And think that, you know, I mean, the, the Wolves are, have been a, a, a very, very important part of my life for a long time. But the idea of getting a new stadium and proving it by going out and maybe busting the Lux tax, you know, figuring, letting Gupta and Rosas figure out ways to circumvent things in a manner that gets you a really formidable roster and then saying at the end of two or three years time, whenever Glenn, you know, has his clammy hands removed from the levers of the franchise. Um, all right. This is what we've done. We've committed a lot of resources to this team. Now we want a, the kind of home that this team plays in that is worthy of this talent. Um, yeah, I think that's I, I would, a, a that's multi-step like process. Yeah, I, I think I think in year one, what you're talking about, and this is smart is empowering a smart front office would mm-hmm. would be the would be what you want and, and the <clears throat> the holding up the city for a new stadium and the, all of those sort of things. Making noises. Yeah. Making noises anyway. Okay, in, yeah, in year yeah. one. All right, all right, yeah. That would be you're right, you're right. That that could that could be a year one thing. I guess I've kind of put that a little bit further out in the future, but noises, noises would fit. Well, that. and I guess it all does depend on whether or not that would be a good or a bad move with his fellow owner, their fellow owners. Mm-hmm. You right. know, I mean, Glenn Taylor is popular. Um, he has mm-hmm. done some things. I mean, not yeah, yeah. A, a fan base. Obviously. I'm talking about with his fellow owners, his brethren like him mm-hmm. because he, you know, he's out for the owners right. and, uh, you know, he's out for small market teams to some extent. Stern really liked him. Silver likes him. He's been on executive committees that, you know, have done yeah. big things. Um, and I think that he knows it's his legacy. So having said that, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe year one isn't the time to do that. Maybe it's when Glenn is halfway out the door. Right. And Glenn will be almost literally halfway out the door in a year and a half or so, you know, so that maybe that's when you do that. Year one, maybe you what you do, though, is you express a willingness to um, operate in a manner that says you want to win games. You know. See, I think I would go a little bit the other direction. What I would like to see happen 
is is coming in and and making a five-year plan which is almost Mm. slowing things down a little bit right and and i think i think in that if you if you give rosas some assurances that he has time to you know to build something here you move you move some uh remove some, you provide some damage control, right? You you get away from maybe a desperation move where he's trying to, you know, he's trying to save his job. You say, hey, you know, you got a 19-year-old kid who we believe is going to be a stud. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's build accordingly, you know. Let's, let's take our time. Let's be smart about this. Let's not be the team who fumbles over their young superstar like the Dallas Mavericks have with Luka Doncic like the Pelicans appear to be doing with Zion Williamson, say, hey, Gers, here's the time, you know, to, to, to make, to, yeah, you had a five-year plan when you came in. You're two years into it. The pieces of the puzzle have moved around a lot. Glenn's on his way out. Ant came in. Like, let's think about this. Let's think about, let's think about where, where Kat and where D'Lo are at. And if that's, if that's what something, you know, we want to listen, move into, you seem really tied to that. Are you tied to that because you feel like you have to? Or are you tied to that because you believe that that is the smartest path to go down? I think in many ways, the best thing ownership can do in all sports is pump the brakes and say, let's be patient. You know, let's be patient. It's already been <laughs> forever since this team's been good. Um, Let's actually do some things to, to make a sustainable winner. Let's do some things that actually signal that, that are, that are objectively smart, an objectively smart path to continue on. Because what I'm getting concerned about as someone who not only wants this team to stay in Minnesota, but wants to see it um, you know, find some success within this market is I, I feel like we're getting dangerously close to the end of the Thibodeau era, which, mm-hmm. as you just said, set things back to, you know, to step one. I just made that analogy, you know. Yeah. And, and my counter to that is that is the obvious thing for ownership and front office right now. If Gerson Rosas can't go to the owners and say, there's been a lot of turbulence in my first two years, and I've put in place four guys on our starting roster now are a steal of a draft pick, the right top pick, a guy who was very close to the resident superstar on the team. And those are four pieces that now need time to grow and as they grow we figure out how best to surround them with the right personnel that's my plan for the next year or two i don't need a five-year plan because five-year plans in the nba are laughable anymore but i need at the end of when glenn leaves and we're here as you're the owners on the front office I want the time to show you 
that I'm solidifying these things in two years to get there. Mm -hmm. And that is what we're doing. I don't understand why that can't happen right now. Instead of chasing Danilo Gallinari's of the world, you have to figure out how to grow. And what's crazy is you've heard my optimism about this team in terms of its raw materials. Chris Finch coaching yeah. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. And if it has to be, you know, D'Angelo Russell um, as a threesome that is surrounded by guys like Jade McDaniels and Josh Okogie and some other people who can defend and, and, you know, whether it's Blair or Rosas or Finch getting buy-in on defensive prowess from D'Lo and Ant, um, you've got the makings of a 500 team. I've said this before. And if you want to suddenly win like 44 games instead of, you know, 41 games by, by uh, denting that progress, you know, then you shouldn't have a job in three years, you know? Uh, let's go patiently. Let's go. He ought to take credit for what he's got in place and then say, now we're in the phase. And, and what you're telling me and what you've said all along, and I have to accept the fact that there's certainly evidence for it on your end as well, is that Rosas is a, is a home run swinger. And he may not be, you know, despite his sustainable model of winning. I mean, let's face it. What's what's Houston's sustainable model of winning again? What were they? What, 17 wins? <laughs> um, so you don't swing for the fences when you have a bunch of people who look like they're emerging power hitters. What you then look for are guys who can defend and guys who can uh, – fill in with their own offensive capabilities uh, in a manner that complements you. You know, you get a guy who Cat is comfortable playing with uh, as a power forward, um, and you get a way of playing with D'Lo and Ant that maximizes both of their, you know, and, and to his credit, Fitz showed that on offense. Defense is going to be the question, but I get back to the idea that when you see a glimmer of what's going on, um, finally, you know, after almost a year of these guys not playing together, let's find out. Let's find out. See what I'm, what I'm getting a little concerned about is the timing of all of this, because I do think Mark Laurie is a sharp guy. I think he will ultimately be the uh, the owner. I think he'll be the guy. Right. You know, he'll, he'll be the brains. He'll be he'll be the t the top of the chain. Right. A Rod will be the poster, and Laurie will be the brain. Exactly. And it, it's kind of like if you took Mark Cuban and you like split right. him in half, right? Right. Um, Which he does himself on a regular basis. <laughs> true. I I think, but what what I'm what I'm concerned about is we are one week away from the NBA draft and two weeks away from free agency, which yeah. which is. These kinds of rumors should be coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I hope, I would like to think that, you know, Rosas and Nori could sit down and have this fake conversation that you and I just did as, you know, right, being right. them and, and have that be something they could, you know, come together on and, and be able to have. But 
What I'm concerned about is, you know, Mark Laurie only owns 20% of the team. I'm not sure if he can even is able to really get in that room with that right type of authority to kind of be able to slow things down even if he wanted to. And But do you think that Glenn at this point is going to say, oh, yeah, Gerson, that sounds like a great idea. I Let's think, go get the Nilo Gallinari. I think Glenn is in Rosa's corner and will support what Rosa's does because Rosa's is a Glenn guy. And uh-huh. uh, I, I think I think all signals are that Taylor has has backed Rosa's to, you know, to be the one making the autonomous d- decisions. And and I don't know. I mean, this is. We don't know. We don't know what the moves that are going to play out are. I'm just. I, I'm concerned you know who the key that it figure could, is here. Yeah. Go ahead. The I'm just key figure. The key figure is Finch. Yeah. If Finch is on board with this, then I want to hear how he's on board with this. But I actually think that if Finch can figure out a way, because Finch has allayed some of my concerns about the overlap between Edwards and Delo, um, and I, if if I'm wrong about apportionment and and Gallinari or that type, some kind of infusion of a demi star coming in doesn't uh mess with the current core and we know who that person is whether it's gallinari or somebody else and finch can explain that in a manner that doesn't sound like he's covering rosas's ass then um then i'm intrigued but i also think that finch is um I think he's already shown himself to be somebody who can restrain some of Rosas's more uh, ridiculous impulses. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think what we're trying to say here or ask is who has the power here? Who, who, who wields the power in, in, in this situation? Because it has been, it has been a dictatorship for two years. Until, until he hired Finch. Until he hired Finch, who he anointed, president or something and right. and now there is uh, yeah the the ownership cha- i don't know which owner has the power to be making decisions right i don't know where like rosa's autonomy lands in correlation to that and and then i don't know now that finch is such a different figure than saunders was um oh, how i think he is I yeah. think that's the no, no, no. I, I know he's different. Said. I just don't okay. know that. I don't know where that stacks up in the hierarchy and how those things. I think there's a way for those things to all synergize. Again, this goes back to our fake right. Laurie right. and them conversation. Right. But as you and I, two people who are very plugged in with the team, don't we don't know that. And I think that's because it's being sorted out right now. I think it comes down to credibility and leverage. Okay. And right now. Finch has more credibility than Rosas and therefore has an increasing amount of leverage. If Finch has a training camp, has a philosophy, states what he wants to do and moves forward, and it turns out to be the same old game that the Timberwolves have engaged in for decades, then Finch loses cachet. Um, 
But as of right now, it's only a little bit of an exaggeration to say that Chris Finch bailed out Gerson Rosas in terms of how people view the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. People, I've said it before, and I don't think it's a particularly controversial stance that the two reasons to be most excited about improvement on this team are Anthony Edwards and Chris Finch. Mm-hmm. Rosas isn't in that conversation. But Rosas brought both those dudes in. Yes, he did. He selected them. He handpicked them. Yes. And and if you want to cherry pick those two victories, yes, I would agree. They are both victories. I'm just saying if like if we're no, gonna no, give no, those uh, th- give say those are the two, you know, great things about this franchise right now, well like They are the reasons for improvement in this franchise. Yeah, um, but Gerson picked them. Yes. Yes, he did. And I am not denying. I think we can take a lot of things away from from Rosas over the the, the two years. I think those two things, you know, we can't. Exactly. Okay. But I mean, uh, and, you know, I don't do this very often, but Jared Culver, come on. That's an awful, awful pick. The Ricky Rubio trade was a bad trade. I mean, so was the Ed Davis. Got, so was well. So was the Wiggins okay. for D'Lo trade, and then and then and the corresponding move of going to the luxury tax with by taking on Spellman and Evans, okay. and then so, trading so Spellman and Evans checkered. to get Ed Davis for two second round picks. I mean, there's okay. a disaster. So that's of bad what moves. I'm saying. Yeah, I, okay, I hear so that. That's what I'm saying. So, who has the credibility and the leverage right now with us, and probably with Lore and A Rod, if not Taylor, and who is smart enough? to realize that Mm -hmm. Finch has the credibility and the leverage. Rosas is smart enough to realize that and make him more of a partner. He's already done that. He brings in Finch on these press conferences. When was the last time Ryan Saunders and Gerson Rosas had a joint dealio happening? It happened that time. We were all invited, all invited to target center and everything Ryan Saunders said, uh, Rosas chirped from the sideline two minutes later and basically undercut it, you know. Um, right. it, 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 this is more of a partnership now between the coach and the front office. Rosas is not scapegoating Chris Finch the way he scapegoated Ryan Saunders. And he also, because of the timing of his move, it was a desperation move. His stock was never lower. The, the notion of Golden State taking a number four or a heavy-duty lottery pick uh, was in the air, and he had to do something. He admitted he had to do something. Right. And it was, you know, he convinced the owners and the coach of another franchise to punt their right-hand man. Uh, you know, that's... You don't do that kind of stuff unless you really, really need to pull out all the stops. And it worked. There was a diminution of a corrosive attitude that was happening. And as a result, um, the Wolves have a little bit of breathing room, you know, and they have a little bit of time and they have a little bit of optimism. Anthony Edwards may have blossomed under Ryan. He certainly blossomed under Rosas. And I mean, under Finch. Uh, Finch. And so, you know, I, I think that 
I think that Rosas is smart enough to realize that, but I also think that if he is, then he knows that Finch's opinion on all of this next step business is very important. And like I said, if Finch can explain it to me and stays on board credibly, then I'm on board too. I mean, this is what we've been talking about for, for almost two years is that when the, the off season of 2021 hits, like stuff is going to hit, right? Like it is going to, it is going to define the future of the Timberwolves. And we obviously we didn't know what the exact details in all of that would, you know, would look like. Uh, I think we just kind of viewed it as, oh, they're going to make their all-in move and get better players right. and it's going to be happy and it's going to be good. But you it's were complex. always much more into that scenario because you think like a GM and I don't. I, well, I think know, it's proving to be right. It's just proving to be more complicated. And in a good way. I mean, you know, if, if we are, I am anyway, complaining about the idea of adding a quality player who can make you better because he doesn't make this team better, longer, higher. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of, um, you know, fudging complaints that you make if you have some optimism about the team. If the team looked like it was a tire fire, then I would have just said that. I would have said, all right, we're throwing another, the Danilo Gallinari tire is on the fire now, you know? Right. It's not. It's because it gets in the way of what I perceive as a way to progress. I think, yeah, right. As, as do I. I'm just saying, like, here we are. Here we are. Week away from the draft. Another week away from, from well, that offseason. Let's off see season. what happens. I still have faith that he may. I, um, Britt, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm literally right. just saying, here we are. Here we I are. And, and there are variables aflutter here and um there is a it's path the nba nba and free agency yeah, it's a blast it's a it's a blast yeah. it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating puzzle and for them to you know to decipher and for us to watch by as somewhat innocent bystanders and like it i'm just i'm saying this is it this is i you don't like what i say go time but this is when stuff is going to start happening. This is when stuff's going to start happening that define it. It I know a ton has happened over the past two years of the like the Gerson Rosas regime, but I would say it was all relatively boring in the sense that all of the moves and stuff happening led to a ton of losses and exciting elements that only existed in the future. Now we are at that future where any moves that happen now, any changes to to anything are going to impact something that is imminent. And, right. and that is, that's exciting. Yeah, I will grant you all those things, but I would come back and say patience is as important as impetuousness right now, probably more so. And Rosas needs to demonstrate that side of himself as we move forward because mm -hmm. he doesn't have a lot of bullets in his gun and uh if he shoots you know one of his bullets and it's not a really really you know if if what he bags with that bullet is not something you can eat for quite a while <laughs> uh then you know you're gonna eventually you know those things are going to 
they're going to come for you. You're going to starve to death or, or be killed. Well, we will see. He's Britt Robson. Britt, uh, thanks for doing this. It's been fun to just talk playoffs a lot. Um, you know, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. I think a lot of the listeners have enjoyed us. I think they like us talking about the Timberwolves, but it's also been fun to, you know, I guess. Well, I did say to you when you asked yeah. me about this podcast, I said, so serious question. Is anybody listening to this? Because I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know if, uh, you know, when we talk about something other than the Timberwolves, I know that um, our, you know, we have differing but very complementary expertises about our view of the Wolves. Um, and I understand why people would be gravitating to our Wolves talk. Uh, I am, you told me that uh, the numbers are quite good for what we do when we talk about the NBA, which I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at that. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad to hear it. No, I, well, I mean, in our defense, there's been a lot of wolves <laughs> to talk about. We've, I mean, we've talked about a, a lot of the, the finals and I've been doing draft stuff, but we've also, I mean, we've done like five wolves off season previews over the course of like a month, I feel like, or two months yeah. since the oh, season. Yeah, no, ended, I, so. I'm, I'm certainly not uh, clamoring for, for more manufactured <laughs> news about the wolves. Uh, <laughs> th th there seems to be a little dropping, you know, every, every week or so of, you know, of, of something happening, which is, that's the NBA too, right? It's a, right. it's a, it's a 12 month news cycle. And I think, uh, this has been the slow time and whether it's go time or not coming up, it's things are, right. you know, things are going to pick up with whatever does or more likely than not does not happen on draft night. And then, and then it's uh, not just for the wolves, but for the rest of the league too. the, you know, the chess pieces move all around the board and, and we, we get them, we, we put them in place and we see, we see where the, you know, where the next season's season's going to go. It's, it's crazy to say that um, literally, what, about 10 hours here after last right. night's game ended. Um, but, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's why you and I both love doing this because it's, uh, it's consistently, it's consistently interesting. And I also think you're extremely well suited for satiating <laughs> the hunger of Wolves fans out there, uh, both in terms of your Twitter feed and, you know, podcasts with me and any number of other people you continually, you know, ferret angles and reasons at a time when, you know, I pretty much take this time off. You know, I'm not, I've turned down staff jobs at publications that want me to be like a 24, seven, 12 month a year guy, you know, rating like the top five power forwards for 2022 or something right now. And, Can you tell you know, your Zach Lowe story? Oh, sure. Uh, Zach Lowe, who I regard Probably, I would think, he, I still think he he's, I think he might be my favorite basketball writer still. Actually, can um, I tell you Zach Lowe's story? Because I feel like sure, you're going to, sure. you're going to do it. All right. So, so Britt, for those of you who might not know this, who I know for some of the listeners, at least their first exposure to you has been this podcast, whether, you know, they're too young to city page it up back in the day or min post. But I think some people probably don't know that you wrote for Sports Illustrated for four years. Dot com, right. right. Sportsillustrated.com and in the magazine a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so this is just, to me, this is like the first, I heard this story for Britt early on when, when we got to know each other. And I, as I've gotten to know you better, I'm like, this is the quintessential Britt Robson story because you're just a hippie. And uh, so Britt like swears against working 
12 months a year. So when Sports Illustrated went to to full-time staffers, you know, 12 months a year wanting to boost their NBA content to to a, a 12-month deal, double everyone's salaries or whatever to do it. But you said, nah, I like to I like to take my summers off and I like to write about music and politics. And that you look like you have something to say. Fine, go ahead. Cut oh, in. No, no, no. I this is my I, story. I, 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 want, I want to give credit to Steve Ashburner is the one that hit Sports Illustrated to me. He was uh, writing at SI.com, I think. And he went to NBA.com. He used to be the mm-hmm. Bulls beat writer. We covered the team at the same time. And um, they were very interested in hiring me. And I was very interested. I was flattered. I love Sports Illustrated. And it once we got into the idea that I was going to be like a full-time guy, that's when I said, that's not really what I do. I don't, I don't write. I, which, I mean, I gave it. Which, I as as said, somebody I in the said, media, I don't want to write about like the top five. I, I told the guy from Sports Illustrated, I don't want to be writing about the top five power fours in the NBA in the middle of July. That's exactly what I said. And what they did is nope. I'm taking back over. I'm okay, taking okay, back okay, over. Okay. I'm taking back over. <laughs> so what you have to understand, as I can understand, as a writer in this industry, is that is a completely insane take to to not want to take doubling your salary and to be able to pay well to be i have no more. idea what well, whatever whatever we whatever we never get into those conversations okay they wanted everybody to become 12 month a year writers rather than you know eight month year writers brit brit says no and they're like well you know we can't keep you on on the the staff here if it's that like everyone else i'm they sure actually, was clamoring what they, for what they said was they said uh all right we'll figure out you know we want what it is is they didn't have anybody i think as the next best option so they said okay well what do you want to do and i said i want to write a column I, you know every week every couple of weeks like i always do for all these other publications and that's what they did for me while they hunted the bushes for the next guy and the next guy the guy who got the job that I, uh, I didn't down. necessarily mean to turn down. I mean, I, you know, I wanted the relationship I had. But anyway, the guy that, quote unquote, took my place was Zach Lowe. Which was which Zach Lowe's was a, first full-time writing well, gig. Yeah, he was at the Celtics blog. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is, that is an insane story. That if and you Zach weren't Lowe such a weirdo, <laughs> if you weren't such a weirdo and you just took the job... Then Zach Lowe stays buried in. I mean, he would have yeah. cream rises at the top, oh, but that yeah. was Zach Lowe would have been right. right. It's just I'm sure a it lot is, of people listening to this are very familiar with Zach Lowe. He has the most popular right. basketball podcast. You know, there is he's one of one right. of if not the most popular basketball writer. It is just is a, a quintessential Britt Robson story. And um, right, speaking of stepping on your own dick. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's Britt Robson uh, at Britt Robson on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back to to talk. I would assume once stuff starts happening here in the next the next week or so. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA, and uh, I'll be back to talk to you tomorrow about some draft prospects. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.